Welcome to the Settle Asian Real Estate Podcast. We're here to help individuals start, grow, and expand in real estate who've never had the experiences or the connections uh, to get started. So without further ado. All right. So thanks everyone for coming uh, on our weekly podcast, uh, Settle Asian Real Estate. Again, mission, the goal of this group. We're just volunteers. We're trying to help each other um, through this like educational platform uh, to sort of inspire, motivate, and empower each other to get bigger and stronger and hopefully retire early and not have to worry about getting laid off by somebody else who doesn't matter, right? Um, we get to pick our own destiny, hopefully, and a lot of us don't really know how to get to there. And so what's nice is we get to bring speakers every once in a while, like George, who is an admin in the group, helps me run everything smoothly, even though it might not seem like it. Um, <laughs> And uh, George and I have known each other for a year now, pretty much, right? Uh, he helped put together Sericon and, uh, you know, schedule speakers and, you know, the Zooms and everything. But fun thing recently, uh, he got into the MBA program at uh, UCLA. And in the times I've known him, he's gone from like zero investment properties to like seven units. And so... I'm curious about how you got to do it. Um, you know, we chat about it pretty often, but um, he's got a long list of things that took him from zero to seven in the last year. And one of which is finding partners and pretty much going out of state and full remote. So uh, without further ado, uh, I think George, you were gonna take over a lot of the speaking for this one. Uh, yeah. And so I'm going to hand this off to you and you can introduce your partners and how you guys are doing this all out of state and how you guys even met each other in the first place. Yeah, sounds good. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So for tonight, I uh, wanted to have it kind of like a, like a panel slash AMA type format. So nothing too formal. We don't have anything planned, no slides or anything like that. I do have a list of questions that I'll go through with the guys. Uh, feel free to chime in anytime with questions, comments, um, feedback, et cetera. Um, but yeah. Uh, everything Nelson mentioned will cover the kind of partnership side. Uh, I've also got some multi-units in Cleveland. That's kind of how this group came together, actually, because of Ohio. Um, but we won't talk about that too much tonight. We'll save that for another talk because that's like a whole nother mess. And I see Danny laughing because he's in it as well. Um, uh, but yeah, with that, we'll get started. Uh, Danny Wong and Kenny Lee, um, it'll be the three of us talking tonight. Uh, Danny, you want to go first? Tell, tell the group a bit about yourself, how you got into uh, real estate investing, what your portfolio currently looks like. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I read a book um, just out, about how to say <clears throat> investing by David Green. Um, I mean, I've always was interested in it, but never really dug too deep after just being interested. So um, just after talking to a couple friends, they're like, yeah, just read this book and read it within like two, three days. And I was like, man, I, I got to get in this. Um, started joining all these groups, <clears throat> connecting with uh, my network, um, and then got found a place in Cleveland. Thought it was good, uh, cash on cash and everything, and just what I was comfortable with. And then pretty much bought a couple of properties, a couple, uh, I think I have nine doors there. And then jump ship to Tennessee <laughs> with George and Kenny. Danny, what was that book that you called up? Uh, that, let me see. Uh, it's by David Green. Um, out of state. Long distance in real estate. Long distance in real estate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Long distance real estate investing by David Green. 
All right, Kenny, what about you? Yeah. Hey, everyone. My name is Kenny. Um, yeah, I started started um, in December, also reading a book. Um, it's the book that I read before I read the one that Danny mentioned. Um, it's the Burr book, um, B-R-R-R-R. Um, that one is from Brandon Turner, I think, uh, or David Green. I have to double check that again. Um, but in December, during, you know, lockdown, holidays, um, I think that's the time when I joined Sarah as well. Um, so really big shout out to, to Sarah, just basically changing my life. Um, you know, this awesome community of people um, had the opportunity to, to basically go through that book. And, and I've never been this motivated to, to read a book growing up. Um, never had, I think it's crazy because, you know, I would go, I would go grocery shopping with my wife. I think some of you know the story. I think maybe Chester, Philip, you guys know the story. Uh, shout out to those guys too, my, my friends back at home. Um, I, yeah, I was grocery shopping. I mean, if we go grocery shopping, I'm like, can we go back home just so I can read? And, and it just, I've never been so motivated doing that, uh, reach, wanting to read a book. So that book really opened my eyes um, to the birth strategy because I've always been intrigued with, um, with real estate. You know, I hear people doing real estate investing and I'm like, how are those people so rich to even have the money to buy all these houses, right? And then I'm like, dang. And so after reading that book, I realized that you don't need money to buy houses, right? It's all leveraging money. Um, and that's like a really good strategy. Um, so read that book, then read the long distance one, because I figured that um, other than, so I live in Portland right now, uh, other than doing um, like, you know, flips and burrs here, uh, or wanting to do flips and burrs during that time, um, you know, I wanted to also do out of state, and I was trying to figure out what to do. Um, and then I think, uh, then I realized I did some research, and I wanted to get into the Columbus market at first. And then that's how I think we all met, actually, uh, Danny, George, and I. Um, I met Danny first. Um, and then I think from, from there, um, Danny connected all of us together. We, were, we started in a, in a Discord channel and started talking every day. I, I actually talked to these guys more than I talked to anyone else in my life. So these are like, they're like brothers to me, basically. Um, so, so, yeah, that's, that's how, it, how it started for me. And I'm loving it yeah. so far. Big, big shout out to Discord, bringing us yeah. together. Actually, what connected me to Danny um, was a byproduct of my Sarah admin responsibilities. I reached out to Danny to set up a Cleveland talk. I don't think I, I would have reached out to him if it wasn't for that. And then I uh, started chatting with him a bit about Cleveland. The numbers sounded great. They always sound great in the Midwest. Um, but again, we're not talking about Cleveland tonight. That's a can of worms. Um, but yeah, a bit of background about me, uh, similar background to what these guys mentioned, uh, became a accidental investor like 10 or 11 years ago when I bought my primary and I felt way too broke. So I started renting out rooms, started house hacking before I knew that was a term. Um, I've been overseas for the past seven years, uh, making my way back to North America now. It's been two months. Um, so I managed that kind of co-living arrangement, even from afar, um, accidental landlord. Uh, yeah. And then joining Sarah, I actually joined Bigger Pockets, uh, And then two weeks later, I found Sarah, paid for the pro membership, Bigger Pockets. Um, that's 320 bucks or whatever I've ever spent in my life. Uh, two weeks later, I found Sarah, haven't logged in Bigger Pockets since. Uh, still subscribe to their um, podcast, though, uh, occasionally, and then read a ton of their books. Um, so yeah, similar to Kenny, read a bunch of books. I think I read like 30 uh, real estate slash financial literacy books last year. And then finally put that into practice back in March. So closed on the two properties in Cleveland in March. And then sometime between March and April, um, this 
partnership and the short-term rentals became a thing. I think from when we first brought it up, when, when Danny first mentioned it, um, to us getting under contract was like two weeks or something crazy like that. Um, good thing and a bad thing, I think. <laughs> and we can touch on that uh, a bit later, kind of working through like how we structured it and, and all that. Um, but yeah, so two weeks later on the contract and I think six week close, five, six week close. Next thing we know, we're in, we're in the Smoky Mountains together. Um, so yeah, with that said, um, one of you guys want to touch on kind of how we set up the structure of this partnership, how it came together, and then also why we're in the Smokies. Danny, you want to go why in the Smokies? I think, I think Danny was really a key pivot um, for us, I think, uh, when it comes to the Smokies. Um, well, I can just go quickly brush on it. Um, you know, I think I, we, we heard really great things about, about the numbers. Uh, it's, it's like the numbers are pretty darn um, uh, mind boggling, I would say at that time, uh, when we were just looking at, you know, COCs of say long-term rentals, even like in Cleveland or Columbus, trying to achieve like maybe close to 20%. And we're like, wow, this is amazing. Right. Then actually finding out what some people were actually getting in, in um, short-term rentals, um, in, in Tennessee, in the Smokies, um, we're like, wow, what's like, what's going on there? Because personally for me, um, I've, I've been, I'm born and raised in, uh, in California. Uh, I live in Oregon now in Portland. Um, but i never knew about the great smoky mountains, um, or never heard too much about it. Um, so I was always thinking, okay, so the most visited national parks, and I knew the national parks were blowing up. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people are going there and start being more outdoorsy and with COVID of course. Um, but after looking into the data, uh, realized that, you know, if you Google right now, I think the latest uh, Google page will show the most, I think visitor wise is like 12 million in the Smokies. Um, and then second place for National Park is Yellowstone at 4 million. So you, you see that giant spread and you're like, wow, this is, a, this is crazy. Uh, and then, so we started then joining um, a Facebook group catered to um, short-term rentals in, in, in the Smokies um, called the Short-Term Shop. Um, and that is where we learned more about um, just overall the, opportun the, the, the opportunity because we saw people post what their earnings were and we just couldn't believe it. We're like, wow, this is am amazing. And then so we ended up getting our cabin and then George and I, we actually had the opportunity to go there um, and set up our cabin. And we, we were convinced that I think this, because you, you go there and on a weekday, you see um, restaurants with two hour wait times on a weekday. And there's like traffic during, during the weekday as well in the morning or like throughout the whole day, there's like traffic. So tons of people going there. Um, so yeah, I think I'm, I might have gone too, too far in this uh, Smokies thing, but yeah, anyways, that, that's sort of how we started. I think from Danny really bringing up this opportunity and then we just started talking more about it. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I was in the Cleveland uh, Facebook group and I met this guy, Alex Sabio. Um, who is a big um, advocate for the Smokies. And then I also, at the same time, also met, <clears throat> I mean, he's in the audience, Anthony Cow. Um, he's part of it too. Like him and I, we started talking and we're like, hey, let's talk to Anthony. Um, let's talk to Alex. And from that point on, we're like, okay, let's talk to Alex. And deep down, I knew I wanted to do short-term rentals because the, uh, the money is there. Uh, I knew I, I took a course on it previously and 
but I just never, it was about rental arbitrage instead. But I was like, man, the, the tax on that is different, right? Now you own it. Now you can depreciate it and everything. Um, so from that point on, we, I brought these guys in. I was like, hey, guys, you guys want to do short-term rental? Let's go. Let's go. Let's, pivot. let's just get out of Cleveland or Ohio and just go to Tennessee. Um, like we quickly did research on it. Um, I had a class, like I still had access. So then I, I shared it with these guys and we're like, oh, we, I mean, even though we didn't finish the course, but we had enough like material in our pockets to go venture out there. Um, we joined like orienta like orientation with a specific group, uh, the brokerage. And then we, we, we knew what was the numbers are there. Um, uh, and the numbers are there. Everyone's, everyone are always looking for Airbnb because they don't have enough hotels to house everybody. They don't even have enough uh, Airbnbs. So we're like, yeah, let's do it. Next thing you know, got pre-approved and boom, we found a cabin. Um, so yeah, that was, that's the story at the, at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, that that course was a short-term rental course, right? Yeah, that I that we we were watching. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the uh, first time I've heard people talk about the Smoky Mountains this much. <laughs> no, yeah, like I sure. never even remember that it exists until like, oh yeah, the numbers, and then it's like, what? It's the most visited park in America. Oh, okay, I see. That that makes sense. Oh, I see. Yep. Uh, uh, I was about to do a pop quiz, see if anybody could guess the most visited national park. We can still do a pop quiz. Anybody know what the number two most visited park is? Either unmute or throw it in the comments there. I, I uh, going into it, I thought something in the West was going to be number one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bingo, Yellowstone. Second question: Any idea um, how many visitors to number one and how many visitors to number two per year? Twelve million for Smokies and four million. Uh, so. Tracy, you're a cheater. We should have muted yeah. you. Everyone has <laughs> You can't just for those, for those that don't know. Uh, uh, Tracy's also uh, exploring this market as well. If you couldn't tell. Yeah, absolutely. So Smoky Mountain sees uh, 12 million visitors per year uh, at a at a close number two is uh, Yellowstone at number four. I, I forgot number three, maybe Zion, uh, something out west as well. They're like, so number two is 3.8, number three is 3.6, I believe. <laughs> All right, so uh, we touched on uh, getting into the market and then Danny, you mentioned about, you know, looking at underwriting deals, looking at deals. Um, what do you look for in a cabin? Like what makes it a good deal for you? Um, for us, um, four, four bedrooms and our, our ideal, um, we, it's big enough where, uh, friends and families come to get together and then they won't, um, like, let's say for instance, we have four, four rooms, a family of like three comes, right. Uh, and then they, they, they stay in the bedrooms and everything, but let's say one, one family decides, oh, we can't make it. And they bail so at least with a four bedroom they can still split the cost and it's still cheaper to them versus they were versus um going into staying there at a hotel right they they cancel any time and whatnot but with with the airbnb is a tad cheaper as a whole and that's how um that's why we come to say hey a four bedroom um cabin is the ideal number um, and just from a numbers perspective, right, that, that I know that 
people won't um, leave or cancel that um, booking. Um, versus like uh, a one a one bedroom, uh, just a couple or a family. Oh, something ha something happened, right? Oh, I want to cancel now, and then boom, they cancel last minute, and I have to find another another replacement guest. Uh, beyond the numbers, Kenny, what 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 uh what do you look for in a cabin when you're looking at deals? Um, my criteria has, has changed over time. Uh, I think as we got better at, at underwriting, um, right now, uh, so, so what we use, um, is, uh, we use, uh, AirDNA, AirDNA's data. Um, so we underwrite with, with very conservative numbers at a 50th percentile performance. Um, so we look at the chart and see, okay, so for four bedroom, three bedroom, what, what is the average daily rate as well as what is the um, occupancy rate on that on each of those respective uh, percent uh, percentile um, and then uh, currently right, right now our underwriting standards is that at a, at a 50th percentile we want at least 20 percent clc so knowing that if we perform half as good as the whole market there you're still making 20 percent clc so to us that's risk-wise that is uh, very manageable um, so in, in our, in our eyes, it's kind of hard to lose money in a way. Um, Sorry so there. could you explain what COC is real quick? Definition, I can definition wise, I think I'm going to butcher it. So maybe someone else, uh, but cash on cash. And then maybe George, if you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should know this answer, huh? So, uh, for every, any dollar that you put out there, let's say we're, we're doing 20% for every hundred bucks that we have to put out for everything down payment closing costs, uh, legal fees, setup costs, et cetera. Any dollar that leaves our pocket, we expect to have at least $20 coming back to us. So that's our 20% cash on cash. Yeah, uh, what else? Um, right now we are actually, so um, when we look at cabins, I mean, also just to uh, add on to what Danny said earlier, um, you know, there's three of us, right? Um, so I think for three of us, I, in terms of price point, that's where we see ourselves being able to, you know, feel comfortable throwing in down payment for um and getting like a three like a four bedroom worth of cost of the house or a cabin um and then i think what we strive to to get if we can is definitely a cabin with a view um or have a or like uh or if it has a swimming pool inside which is very expensive right now for those cabins or it's just a cabin that's just very modernized inside the interior uh usually those are like the newer builds um and yeah i think um i mean we we focus mainly on the numbers but um, for me, the reason why I, I kind of want to strive for cabins with a view or like something, something that distinguishes yourself from others is because you can imagine there's going to be more and more people entering this market, right? So what's, you know, there's going to be more and more Airbnbs listings in this, in this market. So over time, I can just see, you know, our, you know, if, if you don't have a special product or, or more unique product, you're just like a regular cabin that someone can choose from. So I think just getting selected and raising that occupancy and not being a leftover, that's kind of what, what I don't want us to, to go um, experience. Yeah. One thing I've heard that's kind of crazy too, is like uh, the people who like perform at the top level of Airbnbs, they like want empty rooms because people are willing to pay more. So they actually are like empty, you know, 30, 40% of the time physically, but they charge, you know, nosebleed rates. And so they make just as much money, but have less occupancy. So their building is, goes through less wear and tear, which I thought was also interesting for Airbnbs. Yeah, definitely. Um, Danny or Kenny, you guys want to touch on kind of how we, 
how we look at that? Um, like occupancy? Occupancy versus yeah. ADR. Uh, so ADR so, is average daily rate. Yeah. Well, at, um, in the beginning, I think we, when we first got our bookings uh, or when we went live, right, it was just so exciting. Um, that, that feeling of just getting your first booking is, I, I think when I look back on it, I'm like, you know, we, us three will just all caps, you know, like just spam the keyboard, like, oh my God, we got a booking, you know, like it's just a really cool feeling. Um, but the, and then also we, we got down this sort of um, this route where we're like, oh, we're just, let's just try to milk as much bookings as we can. There's like tons of people, by the way, that will reach out to you um, before they book asking for discounts. And then we're always discussing amongst us three, hey, should we give that discount to that person just so we can get that booking? Because we were hungry. We were hungry to fill up our calendars, right? But what we realized is that you don't need to do that um, because that market would basically do its own thing and, and people will come to you. So I think now we are more seasoned in that aspect. Um, so, you know, in the beginning, definitely I think occupancy, I think right now we're, you know, we, we still of course strive for the occupancy, but we also know that it's normal to have days where you don't get any bookings. Um, and I think um, as long as we perform at the 75th percentile in the end and strive to give, I think the main focus is if you get into this business, I think you really have to understand that this is not long-term rental. It's more active. You're, you're doing a lot more work um, and you are essentially uh, in the hospitality business, right? So you want to strive to provide a good experience um, to those people. Because when you think about it, those people are on vacation, right? And, and it's, it sucks that if they have anything that comes up that is not ideal, um, you're essentially ruining their vacation. So you have to be conscious about that. Uh, so one thing um, these guys didn't mention, um, and me as well at the beginning during the self-intros, is that we all work W-2 jobs. We're all still full-time employees um, at, at position, in positions that are not that, or how to say, our, our day jobs are quite demanding um, in terms of kind of like mental bandwidth and sometimes on time as well. Um, so with that, like how did, how did we decide or what was our approach to the decision of self-managing versus putting this on a, on a rental program? I mean, that's, that's probably the beauty of partnership, right? <clears throat> like we take parts or kind of shifts <clears throat> on certain days, uh, times, and we just like, like I was on PTO these last couple of days, um, George and Kenny just took over and I was pretty much off my phone, um, off the laptop, looking at <clears throat> the information. Um, so and that's, that's what we kind of, um, when I approached these guys, I was like, Hey, let's partner up. Let's, let's do this. That way when I'm on vacation, I don't have to be bothered with it. Right. Um, and, and overall, I'm grateful for it. Right. I'm grateful. I can spend time with my family and still have all systems are still running. Yeah. I mean, Kenny, anything to add? Yeah, no, I think, um, yeah. Like when I think about myself, um, you know, I'm a big camper, uh, going out on like pretty much in the summer of Oregon, we would book, um, uh, you know, a, a trip camping trip every other weekend. Um, so usually squeezing like eight to 10 trips and then, you, you know, there's no reception there. So I think being in a partnership when running Airbnb, it, that's, that's a huge positive being able to just jump in for each other. Um, okay. I got a question then follow up. Um, you guys are all internet strangers who, they didn't meet in person until you bought the property. Can I confirm that? That is true. Yep. I met George at the airport when we connected to Tennessee. So how yeah. do you 
trusting a complete stranger on the other side of the country to get together on a 30-year contract together. Uh, how can you guys uh, talk about your vetting process for each other? This is, you guys can dish obviously, um, but, <laughs> but yeah, like what were your thoughts when you say met George and you're like, all right, I don't know if I like this guy. Like he's kind of, he's still not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, um, we, we touched on the discord and kind of talking about Cleveland. So we, we came together, not with the intention of getting into a partnership, not with the intentions of, you know, getting into short-term rentals or any property together. Um, so in that sense, I guess it was, it was like the, the there was no ulterior alternative motives. Uh, we were talking about Cleveland and Columbus and Ohio in general for I think two or three months before the idea of a partnership even came up. So I think through all those reps, like we, we literally were talking throughout the day, every day of the week for at least a month. I can't remember the timeline, one to three months, somewhere in that, that time range. Um, and then after that, it was a trust fall. I mean, we've got some checks and balances in place. You know, we've, we've lawyered up, we have an operating agreement which we haven't signed yet. Um, so up until this point, it, it is a trust fall. Um, yeah, Danny, you wanna chime in about the kind of the, the structure and the finances and all that? Yeah, um, basically we, we've we agreed upon like to do at least three uh, properties in Smoky Mountains. <clears throat> one from each of us will finance one property um, and then yeah, that's part of the operating agreement. Like we will do that. <laughs> um, and then I guess we'll, we'll look more after that. Right. We'll, we'll, we can't qualify. So we'll, we'll use the cabins, um, high income to, to push, the, to, to be on our tax returns and that way we can qualify for more in the future. Yeah. And to add, I think, um, Back to like just how we got to know each other. I think, yeah, throughout, I think when you, like, like what George said, when we first started talking, it was really just about, you know, just, just real uh, investing in, in, in Ohio. Right. Um, and then after that, we just started talking more random, like, like as friends. And then I think over time you get to know someone really well. Um, and then we will also go on like calls together um, just to check in with each other, keep each other accountable for all the other stuff that we're doing. So like George and Danny in, in Ohio, the stuff I'm doing here in, in Oregon. Um, so I think, yeah, you just start building that intuition that, you know, you get, you, you know, these people and then you, you sort of start trusting them. And, and I think it's, it's been I, it's going well because I think we all bring different strengths together into this partnership. Um, and yeah, so far, I think it's, uh, it's, you know, I, I, I feel blessed to, to get to know these guys. Um, so lucky to, to even be as well, also Sarah too. So shout out to Sarah again. Nice. Yeah, for I, sure. You guys did um, the the pandemic dating thing. I don't know if you guys have encountered this with your friends, but when people date in the pandemic, they like spend every day together, right? Instead of like say, oh, let's go get dinner like once a week. So you like skip through and like get like a much closer relationship in pandemic. If you started dating in the pandemic, then the people who did it before the pandemic. I don't know if anyone else knows this. I feel like this is the thing I, I picked yeah. up on. But. I was at a meetup last night uh, with some of the Sarah folks, or we were at a dinner, um, and we were talking about this, and the parallels between what we have going on and, and dating are a bit uncanny. Uh, Annie mentioned in there, it's like we got married in the pandemic. Actually, what happened was we hooked up, and somebody got pregnant, and now we have a <laughs> cabin. Uh, but that's a great segue. Uh, my next question is, uh, so Danny's up in the Bay, uh, 
Kenny's up in Portland. I was on the East Coast. Now I'm on the West Coast in LA. I'm officially a convert now that I have this hat. Um, what enables us to manage this? <laughs> Danny with the thumbs down. What enables us to manage this remotely and maintain our full-time jobs and kind of who does what? I think, um, so there's actually a lot of tools out there. Uh, we utilize a lot of tech tools. I think technology has caught up. I, hearing stories of uh, Airbnb hosts uh, that has that have you know been there since the beginning of Airbnb. There's not many tools out there. Now we have automation tools. Um, you know when a guest books, right? Um, there's a there's a there's a message that sends to them uh, uh, based on the template we write. Um, also, when before before they check in, all the check in instructions and welcome package. Uh, and until all the way at the end where we ask for a review. Um, so I think automation really does play a huge part in it. Um, and I gotta say overall, I, and, and also I think doing it remotely similar to like when you think about long-term, right? It's having the right teammates on the ground as well. So George and I, we were able to, and Danny as well, uh, before even going on a trip, um, when we got the cabin, we started interviewing. We interviewed like maybe 30 something cleaners um, to find the one that, you know, we, we thought was the best. Uh, so then, and also contractors as well, um, because those are the two really biggest players to really keep, get you successful in, 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 um, the short-term rental space. Um, and when we got there, George and I, um, got there, Danny couldn't make it on the trip. Um, we then connected with them even further, having dinner with them uh, and getting to know them. So I think, um, uh, building that trust with your teammates, um, and identifying, um, you know, the, the right people to work with is, is vital um, to really make the remote thing work. And um, I think just constant communication, even between us three, not even being next to each other, right? Uh, or not being local to each other. I think it's, uh, we, we're, we're now on the Slack channel together, but um, you know, just communication with each other and then splitting roles and responsibilities. I think we've learned a lot from that uh, recently. Um, I think we approached it um, uh, in a way where, um, you know, we broke it down as if it's a real business because that's where we want to take this. We want to take this to a, to a real business in the future. We need to hire people to where we, us, us three, step back and hire someone to do most of the work and we just focus on acquiring more properties. That's sort of the goal. Um, so, but of course, in the beginning, um, you have to think about how do we three split the work because of course, it's just too early for us to, to go too far um, or to go too big with that. So um, yeah, then we started, uh, I think uh, operations, we realized that is the biggest um, workload. Um, then we split it into three. Um, one person's in charge of pricing updates. One person's in charge of vendor management. One person's in charge of um, the guest relations as in uh, messaging back and forth with the guest. And then we have you know, someone in finance doing all the, all the Stessa stuff and tracking all the finances. We have a guy that's tech. And then we have a guy that's marketing, so working on the listings as well as uh, getting SEO and all of that stuff. Uh, even even um, it got us like design as well. So that person's in charge of when it go, when we have a new cabin, that person makes the decisions on what we do with that cabin, how to freshen it up. Um, and then we also have a guy that's like a touch point uh, for any legal things, such as getting the operating agreement in place, or even saying we get hopefully not you know, knock on wood, if we get sued, right? So someone just to, as a point of contact. So uh, I think splitting out the roles of responsibility is super important. Recently, we um, just through our experience, um, realized that for short-term rentals, it's so active that it's tough on that. So, you know, like what I mentioned earlier, operations is the big part, right? So we're like, okay, let's just try to split it. But in reality, 
in my opinion, and I think George and Danny as well, after we spoke about it recently, it, it's too hard to split into three people because we end, we end up butting heads. Um, so we have decided that one person would be a full ops. So full ops meaning managing the full listing, uh, managing the pricing, managing the vendor relationship, as well as the guest uh, relations. So we started doing that and, and it's, um, I gotta say it's night and day. So that's my advice for those that want to get in as a partnership. Um, uh, I think that's a learning for us because, you know, we've been always just talking about long-term rentals. Um, and then when you think about these, this kind of partnership, it's actually a, le- a lot, you know, hands off than, than short-term rentals. So that's why we got a little bit caught off guard there, but I've been talking through it. Um, we, we, we solved it. Uh, yeah, actually on that subject, um, is this all contracted, right? When you're setting up this partnership, what was the legal stuff involved and a subtle plug to uh, one of our sponsors from Sarecon. Uh, if you're interested, Stella Han has an app called Fractional, lets you uh, partner with people more easily. But, you know, obviously you guys didn't go through that because I remember when you were going through the legal process. And, uh, but like, how did you guys figure out the partnership? Did you get a lawyer? You know, what was involved? Anyone want to take that one? Sure. Um, so we approached it. At first, of course, it's all by trust. And even right now, like what George said, we're, we, we haven't signed an operating agreement, but um, we basically set up an entity in Wyoming um, uh, as a holding company, uh, LLC. Um, and then we have the cabin under our Tennessee LLC, which is then owned by Wyoming, which is a pastor entity. Um, then we talked about how, um, of course, you know, as operating agreement uh, in between all three partners, I think it's super important to, to, talk, to basically set out all the expectations uh, and, and think about sort of the end, right? Uh, what would happen if, 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 if it's all the ifs. Um, and, and what helped is that I think the Wyoming um, LLC provided like a, like a document of considerations. And we, us three, what we did is we ended up going on, on each on our, on our own, uh, look at the consideration and we put answers. Like Danny would have an answer. I would have an answer. I, then George would have an answer on each of the considerations. And then we will meet on the considerations and then further sort of enhance or like just if there's consideration where we all three match saying, okay, this is all the same, then that we don't have to talk about anymore, but we capture that uh, because later on we, you have to end up sharing it with um, the, the lawyer that's working on drafting and customizing operating agreement. Um, so that's how sort of we got through it. Um, and it was a long process. Um, it's not easy because um, a lot of the legal terms and stuff like that is very foreign to us. Um, so um yeah i think um just going just making sure we have an operating agreement that's super important i feel absolutely i want to ask one more question and then open it up to the floor and also ask anthony and and tracy to kind of chime in with their opinions as well because they're also involved but they are single shingles and i give them all the kudos in the world for taking on this endeavor by themselves uh so last question uh, i'll point this at you danny oh annie's here too oh wait say it again annie's in here too annie Annie just came in yeah annie just came in all right Last official question for you, Danny. Uh, what's next? Um, what's next? I plan to build a business with these guys, and then um, probably eventually and use the cash flow to buy um, long-term rentals. Uh, could be, it could be anywhere. Maybe Texas now. Right after going to Sarcon, I'm like, oh, Texas is a good spot. <laughs> Ohio is not apparently. I'm right over. I'm, I'm in the backyard. <laughs> but yeah, that that's that's the goal. Um, keep uh, letting my cash earn more cash. Um, that way, I can quit my W two, hang out with my family. 
um, move to a different country for a couple months, right? Um, that's that's the goal. That's always the angle. Um, but yeah, let's 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 hope for the best and wish this partnership <laughs> go take us there. Yeah, for sure. All right, we got some questions uh, coming in chat, and feel free to, to unmute yourselves and, and ask. Um, We're going with question mode, everyone. Uh, yep. Just to, just to get everyone on board. Uh, I think we're wrapping up some of the conversation here and we won't want as many questions as possible. So no stupid questions, dump it on. Uh, this is the Q&A session, which I think is usually the funnest part anyways, right? Yeah. And preference for you to, to unmute. Let's, let's make this a, a conversation, but I'll, <laughs> I'll lead off with this question from the chat from Wakefield. How many hours a week do we spend managing? I, I couldn't answer this off the top of my head. It, it's just like a constant string of touch points throughout the entire day. Some things take like a second to respond to, other things are fires and we got to hop on a call for 10, 15, 20 minutes. Um, some of them, because of the way we have the, the roles and responsibilities split up, one person will tackle it, but the other people just might need to be informed. Um, so I think it's a bit hard to say. Um, I don't think it's too significant though, maybe a few hours a week. Yeah, I think it's definitely manageable, even having a W-2 job. Uh, I think what's most important is being able to identify what you're spending most of your time on and figuring out if there's a way to automate it um, or, or streamline it. Um, I think that's what's most important. I think in the beginning right now we are spending, uh, I would say we'll, we will probably continue trending down less and less time spent on short-term rentals as we scale and as we get better at this. But in the beginning, it's, it, it takes, definitely takes more time than, than, than what you would think. Um, Anthony, uh, what about you? you oh, actually, uh, before I ask you that, Anthony, um, the biggest lift for us was actually getting the house up and running. So me and Kenny flew out there. Danny couldn't make it. Um, but even if he did, I don't know if we could have shortened that timeline. I was out there for two weeks. Kenny was out there for two days. Even after we left town, it took us another week to uh, to get, get the house ready and go live. And even when we went live, we were only 80% there. Um, now, we're probably still not 100% there, but we're, we're close enough to get to get bookings and make some revenue. Um, but Anthony, uh, I'd love for you to share your story actually on how you got yours up and running because you were out there the longest by far. Yeah, thanks, George. Um... I guess really quickly, I'm Anthony. I have a short-term rental out in Tennessee with these guys. I was out there for a month and um, it was it was, it was was quite a challenge because the cabin I bought was an unfurnished. So if you buy an unfurnished cabin, I budgeted about $20 per square foot and it was kind of true. Um, and getting it running, once, once I came back to the Bay, it took me about, I would say, I spent about 20 hours a week just kind of making sure everything was good with my cleaners. Uh, making sure my listing was optimized, making sure I had pretty much uh, as much as I could prepared to go live. Um, and I would say there are cases also where a guest may ask a lot of questions and you're on the hook, or a guest may destroy a TV and you have to replace it. That's just the cost of doing business. But, but I would say on the, on the flip side, the revenue more than covers it. So even though these things may happen and you spend more time, you're compensated for it. So I also own a few long-term rentals. And if I had to choose right now between the two, I would do short-term rental without a doubt. Um, but um, yeah, that's kind of like a quick quick overview. George, I don't know if you wanted uh, me to touch on anything else. Actually, yeah, no, that, was, that was perfect. I got a question on follow-up. You mentioned some numbers. You spent $20 a square foot furnishing. Do you have numbers for cleaning also? And uh, I guess on top of that, yeah. yeah, any other operational numbers you might want to include? Yeah, good question. So for cleaning, one of the cool things is on Airbnb, there's a cleaning fee. 
your cleaners will normally charge you a figure. Let's say it's like $100. You can charge $150. So if you have, I have a smaller cabin. My cabin is two bed, two and a half bath. So I have maybe eight to 10 turns a month. So there's an opportunity for cleaner arbitrage there, which is like 500 bucks a month, which is great. One of my long-term rentals, that's what I make normally on cash flow. Um, and for other operational numbers, $20 per square foot. Ryan Panetta, he runs Airbnb. I don't know if you guys have heard of Ryan Panetta, but he does 10 to $15. But in the Smokies, you're competing in um, a market where there's a lot of amenities. Like people have like indoor swimming pools, arcade barrels, pool tables, all this stuff. So the average cost per square foot for furnishing definitely goes up. Um, some other numbers. I think one call out is like, definitely check out what city that you're buying in and what it costs to get in for the license, for the permits that are required. Those are pretty important. Um, sometimes you have to bring your cabin to code. That's why I was there for so long was because there was all kinds of things like graspable handrails, height requirements, um, fire extinguishers, fire alarms, all that fun stuff. How about you, Tracy? Where, how far along are you? Congrats as well. Uh, last we talked, you were under contract, but not sure uh, where you are now. Thanks, George. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, my name is Tracy. So I am currently under contract for a cabin um, in the Smoky Mountains as well. So not as far along as I want to be. We just passed inspection um, and I think appraisal should be coming back in the next week or so. Um, but in parallel, and I think like just learning from your team and also with like Annie and Anthony, um, just trying to get everything done in parallel while we're under contract. So if you ever feel like confident that this is a deal that is going to come through, um, identify what's in your control at the moment, whether it's calling cleaners, calling contractors, getting all that team lined up and start the conversation going now, or even start creating like a mock listing so that the moment that you're done and you're in contract or sorry, and you're like at the final stages, you're not starting from step one, but you're kind of already, already ahead of the game. Um, and so my next step here is, you know, after we close, we're aiming at September 7th, um, is to fly out there with my husband and just kind of get the cabin ready to go and meet up with the team. How long are you anticipating on staying out there? Um, I'm hoping to stay there probably two weeks. I'm going to have my husband stay there a little bit longer, depending on the work. Um, don't tell him that I haven't told him that either. So surprise, Lauren, if you watch this later. Um, and to Anthony's point about just like permits, um, definitely do your due diligence there. I think my cabin is a couple blocks away from Anthony's. So I'm going to be running into some of those permit requirements as well, too. So um, getting in touch with the city, understanding what I need to come prepared with, and then having those handyman um, in line in order to make that call when I need them to come. Awesome. We're excited for you. Um, Annie Long, are you still on this call? I think I actually sold you short. You might be the one that stayed out there the longest. And congrats to Annie just went live a few days ago. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, I actually, I ended up staying the longest compared to all three group of us that have been there. Just because my cabins probably is also the biggest. And I ended up adding on more work that are initially before I flew out there, I didn't plan on doing but I ended up adding on more scope. Um, but yes, everything um, Anthony and Tracy have said is very true. Have a game planned. One thing I would say is, and have a backup, a contingency plan, because 
the shortage of the contractors, how busy they are, you always need to make sure you have a backup of a backup of backup of whoever you need it to use. And also, when I first started, I was very mindful of people time to the point where I become on the shorter end of the stick. So you schedule, if you schedule people, schedule multiple of them because you, I'm sadly to say this, but people have canceled on me multiple times to the points where I make sure that I have a backup plan. And if the first person come through, then I call, can always reschedule the second person or whatnot. I mean, it's, it's sad to do that, but we all have a deadline. And unfortunately, we are not on site. We are remote. We're flying in. So we really have a deadline, right? So just look out for yourself first. That's actually really important. I do the same thing, actually. Uh, and I do long-term rentals. I always have uh, two, three contractors um, and two, three PMs uh, just in case, because you never know when one person might fall through. Uh, so right. yeah, we're starting to deal, deal with that with our, with our cleaners. Actually, we were very, very bullish on our cleaners and now oh. six, seven weeks later and things are starting to fall off the rails a bit. So we're trying to course correct, but if we can't get there, then we've got, like Kenny said, we talked to 30 of them. So we got 29 other ones queued up, ready to take their spot. Yep. Yeah. Professional cleaners or people, professional, like Airbnb people. Like I know people with like seven cleaners on call, just like a backup for the backup for the backup, you know? So. <laughs> Yeah. That might actually be a good strategy, right? To rotate cleaners, not have a cleaner dedicated to each cabin. Kind of yeah. mix them around. That's what people do. I think, um, especially since we actually, so Danny, George, and I, our cabin, our cleaner actually one day got into an accident. Um, oh, car yeah. got totaled. Luckily, they're okay. Um, but we had to last minute look for someone at, on our backup list. But we didn't have that person lined up first but luckily that person was available um that day but yeah i think a good point is uh, a good strategy is actually if you say you have two cabins do one cabin with one cleaner and then the other cabin with another one and then you can even have each other check on um their work um, yeah can i jump in with a question back um about yeah, your hours that you work so you mentioned you all have w2 jobs first question is where do you envision seeing your professional um my core career going and second question is when they when I guess you move vertically up and more and more of your time is filled with meetings all day how do you see your rental portfolio um growing yeah okay. yeah yeah so so for me I mean my goal is um when I have enough uh I, I have a goal of like a certain number uh per month if I'm able to make that I'll quit my job um, and then from there, just continue scaling, um, scale to enough to where, you know, we, it, it's, uh, I, yeah, just keep scaling, I would say. Um, and, and, uh, I think short-term rentals is, is, uh, something that is exciting. I think if you are able to also quit your job, you get to dedicate more time. Uh, but like I mentioned earlier, I think ultimately our goal is to create a, like, you know, it, it is, we you know we have it actually like a real company, right. But it's like getting to that, to that place where you can hire people to do everything else um, so that you can just sit in the, in the sideline, sort of work on strategy and, and execution on getting more uh, cabins or, or just going to different markets, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, so I was very ambitious in my W2 job up until about a year ago um, when I parted ways with that last company. And when that final paycheck hit my bank account was kind of the, the eye-opening moment for me. It actually scared me shitless. Um, but I'm still youngish, um, still in 
relatively uh, fair demand in the marketplace, but I pictured myself 10, 20, 30 years from now, that probably won't be the, the case. So I actually uh, took a year off uh, sabbatical, fund employment, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I took that time to really reflect, think about um, what I wanted out of life um, and did all that, that self-study. I mentioned all those books I read and all those podcasts I listened to. And I knew I had to set up alternative streams of income so that I'm not tied to just one large chunk of income coming in every month. And I think Nelson mentioned earlier, where one day maybe the winds turn against you and that company doesn't want you to be a part of it anymore. And I didn't want to be in that situation. So that's how I got into real estate. And it doesn't have to be in real estate, right? You can you can spread your, your money around, invest in other businesses, in the stock market, whatever it may be. Um, and then to answer your question about how do I kind of balance my day job versus my investing. So I have a number as well. Uh, Danny does as well. Once we hit that number, uh, day job kind of becomes like a hobby to me. So uh, this new job, I've been there for seven weeks, almost two months. Uh, it was an explicit or strategic decision for me to take a step down in responsibility so that I can continue to do this extracurricular stuff. I want to give a shout out to, to Alvin Lee. Uh, I chatted with him the other day. He had a story about a former coworker who got laid off. Um, and then all of a sudden the coworker though was like retired the next year. And he was like, how that work? Well, the coworker was like, yeah, well, every year or two, I just bought another property. And then, you know, by the time they laid me off when I was like, you know, my late forties, I had enough of enough re like real estate properties that I could just, you know, coast and retire. And so, you know, Alvin's like thinking like, and man, I was the dumb one because normally he's the one who's bad at work. Right. And like, he's the one <laughs> When you go into code review, everyone's like, ah, this guy, oh, Alvin, yeah, I was giving you a shout out. He's yeah. the one where everyone's like, ah, this is the guy who I don't want to deal with this code, but he was the smart one all along, you know, and it's nothing wrong with enjoying your work. Um, it's just, you want the option to choose to do the work. You don't want to be forced into it. So if at a certain point, your manager changes or the company doesn't want you anymore, you're not tied uh, to those chains. Yeah. Right. Yik. It's quite yeah. empowering to, to have that, that ability or capability. Yeah, that was a um, pretty eye point for me. That's actually why I went into real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Alvin here is trying to go out of state for the first time. So awesome. Good luck. I have a question on just like Smoky Mountains market and uh, your guys strategy. Congrats, by the way, again, uh, to you guys already in there and people getting into it. That's, that's awesome. Um, with prices that have just gone up an astronomical amount recently, past year, do you see yourself still being able to hit the numbers that you want or shifting your strategy or how are you guys um, thinking about that? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I actually wanted to ask Anthony and, and Annie as well, since they're just getting started. Uh, I think for us, we, we continue to underwrite deals. Um, so since the first one, we've actually been in contract under two, uh, sorry, been in contract for two. Uh, the last one we ended up dropping out um, and it was a great learning experience for us. Um, Kenny touched on this earlier. I think it, it made us change the way that we approach looking at deals and what our uh, buy box or credit box is, what our minimum requirements are to hit. Um, and then we're actually under contract now for another one, um, which we are considering offloading. Um, it's an off-market deal. If anybody's interested, maybe we can work something out um, before we let it go. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're still bullish on the market. Um, I think for me, I believe fundamentally that the, the bucket will never drop out in the Smokies. And if that is something holds true, then we will continue to invest. Yeah, but yeah, you're right, kind of um, Wakefield, regarding the, the prices. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where if you look at, if you look at the, any of these properties right now being sold on the MLS, 
two years ago is literally half the cost. So if you look at a, a cabin that's 450 right now, it's 900 two years ago. That's so, but the numbers still work. Um, so that's why, you know, I, I think for those that are interested, just focus on the numbers. As long as the numbers work, it works. Yeah. I think um, just uh, as an example, a lot of the, co- a lot of the properties that I underwrite, you can still get an 11% cap and let's say 30% cash on cash return, especially if you utilize a vacation home loan. So you can get in on your first one with um, 10% down as an example. So you can conserve some cash and um, you can Airbnb it and do very well. I think um, there are other options. The lenders in Tennessee are, I found to be a little more lenient. Like there are 85 LTV investment loans as an example. Um, And I'd say that there's still some room for prices to move up in the sense that institutional investors haven't really gotten themselves really immersed into it. Um, I think there's some rumblings and some folks have been mentioning that, oh, family office can come in and buy a bunch, but the logistical the logistics of setting that up for like a big fund would be pretty challenging. So I think right now there's still enough alpha to kind of step in as a, as a solo operator and beat out the market. It's still very doable. Um, if you look at listings as an example, many of them are mom and pop that don't have professional photos. They don't have channel manager. They're just on Airbnb. They're not on, they're not, they're not utilizing the property to its highest potential. Like they have, they have old decor. They don't have their place optimized. So I feel like there's a lot of room for an operator to come in. Like I did it in my cabin and I'm seeing the rewards for it. So I'm after number two. Uh, I would act to say I actually consult data science right now for one of those big um, funds. It's a, it's, it's pretty complex. Um, they're already having a hard time scaling up with single family homes. And so it's not, they're not moving uh, as much into like the single family home uh, rental market in STRs. Uh, but, you know, the amount they've been buying has actually decreased because the prices have gone up. So they're offloading more than they're purchasing in the past. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, I live in Dallas, Texas. And before I decided to go into Smoky Mountains for short term rental, I actually spent a whole year trying to find a long-term, I've never considered short-term rental up until probably a few months back. Uh, I do have another long-term rental in Nashville, Tennessee, um, but I spent a year putting offer left and right in the Dallas market. And the number didn't really make sense. I just wanted to diversify at the time. And then one day I just, you know, online and ran across a short-term rental, I spent a couple of months studying the numbers and it makes sense. Especially with what Anthony said, uh, you get to do the 10% vacation home or second home, which is reduce a lot of money upfront. And there's definitely in the Smoky Mountain, everything Anthony said is true. There's a lot of rental that are still very dated. There are room for, you will always find a deal, you know? So there definitely, it's a good market. I just went live, so I don't have a track record yet, but I did have one booking checking in today and another inquiry and the number really, really good. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. You know, what's even more exciting than getting your first booking when your first payout I, hits. <laughs> I will not hop at, my, at the camera. I promise I was just going to go to sleep and not going to see what my guest is doing. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. All right. Um, it is eight o'clock. That is it uh, for today. Uh, thank you everyone for contributing, George, 
uh, Kenny, Anthony, Annie. I uh, really appreciate all the knowledge that you're dropping uh, and even Tracy with her, with her most newest one. Um, so uh, it looks like for some reason, Sarah's moving to the Smokies, but um, if you guys have any further questions, feel free to reach out to uh, George, Kenny, anyone there. Um, Annie, you got any other announcements besides uh, our major Sarah event coming up? Huh? Yes, Saturday, it's coming up. Something that I made up within five minutes and all you people seem to really like the idea. So if you guys are in one of those cities, come meet us um, this Saturday. And then also don't forget, we're heading to Texas in November. So start asking for your PTOs and get your days off because we're going to be he heading out to Dallas, Houston, and Austin and check out some properties. So let's go team. Hit me up when you guys here. I'm here in Dallas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I got to meet you. I'm, I'm in Austin. So, you know, at some point. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. Good lunch. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, oh, and then of course, final plug again, uh, fractional.app. Stella is actually in here. If you guys are looking to make partnerships and then, you know, uh, get help on some of the legal stuff and even uh, managing the distributions, like uh, you should check out her app. Um, it's super helpful. It's kind of new. They got out of Y Combinator recently. They're in stealth. So you got to get into the beta. Um, <laughs> all right. So aside from that, uh, thank you guys all for your time. Uh, I'll catch you guys in two weeks. Cool. See y'all. See you in two weeks. <laughs>